With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast presented by BetMGM and McKenny Hockey. I am Mike Stevens. Uh, I am virtually sitting across from Ryan Kennedy. Uh, Ryan, how you doing? Pretty good. How's it going? Good, good. Um, so we didn't do a podcast last week. Um, we had to take our first sort of maintenance day on that because Ryan was sick. Um, and here's the thing about sharing a hotel room with someone um, in a faraway land is that when they're sick, even if it's a delayed reaction, you will get sick too. So I've been fighting for my life for the last little bit. Ryan was last week. We're doing this virtually because you don't want to miss two weeks because we're doing this all for you, uh, the listener. So why don't we hop right into it, Ryan? The great, the great thing about um, being sick this last weekend is that nothing of note happened, um, nothing of consequence, and uh, I was able to just take all this time off and we had nothing to talk about. Um, obviously, that is sarcasm because right now we have uh, the Canucks fired their head coach, placing with someone else. We have a ton else to talk about. Let's start there, though. Um with obviously like the news that ever that the 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 worst kept secret possibly in sports history, um, which is the Vancouver Canucks firing Bruce Boudreaux, replacing him with Rick Tockett um on on Sunday. I think we've covered um at least I personally I've covered this on like on podcasts a lot. I'm sure you have uh you have as well. So I guess give give me your initial thoughts on it right off the hop and then we can talk about where Vancouver goes from here moving forward. Yeah, and I think the important thing is to look forward because it's been almost universal that the Canucks handled this very, very poorly, mm -hmm. whether it was the fact that we knew basically that Rick Tockett was going to replace him at least a week in advance to the fact that they trotted Bruce Boudreaux out for media availability several times after this news had already broken or at least leaked. So like I say, that's it's almost universal that Vancouver management has a lot of trust to rebuild in the hockey world. And that's mm. kind of where we're at right now is what are their next steps to assure the fan base, to assure the hockey world at large that they are competent enough to continue this job. I don't think they can. Like I, like I, you know, spoke about this on staff and yesterday, but I mean, this has been, the exact same sort of, and this, this particular instance is different. Like this particular instance is one of the most shameful things. We, like we've never seen a situation like this in hockey. Like even what, like the most, the thing that I can, I can think of most is uh, like, that's like somewhat related to this is when Gerard Gallant got fired in Florida and he had to like call his own Uber uh, on the road to leave. And even then that was like a snap decision. They were able to just rip off the bandaid and yes, they could have like given him a car or something. Um, and it was still bad. But at least, you know, that that this is this was like mental torture. This was and, and the thing is, as well, with Bruce Boudreaux is he he's he's spoken. And, and again, I want to give him credit because 
Like if I was getting, you know, dangled around like this and, and put, and a microphone was put in front of my face every night, I don't know if I would be as diplomatic or as, as sort of like the company man towing the line as he did, but he was talking about how him and his assistants would come in every day and a good chunk of the conversation would center around, all right, this is the day where the shoe drops. And that conversation mm-hmm. is taking away from the actual like duties of a head coach. Like that's distracting to, to the actual sort of like modus operandi of a, of an organization. So if you look at this, like the Canucks have been one disaster after another and this specific, this specific regime, I mean, they had to like, they had to call a press conference six days before they did this due to the alleged mishandling of, um, of a player's routine injury, you know, Mm -hmm. and they have a human rights. um, They have a human rights complaint filed against them. Their owner is in some serious uh, legal issues as well right now. Um, they they don't have and then they have this you know it, they have from every aspect of their organization whether it's player health the on ice product as a business as a management team as an in ownership they they're they're they've failed across the board and so if i like if i'm a canucks fan right now like w- like it doesn't matter who and we'll get into rick talk it in a sec but like it doesn't really matter who you bring in like how do you have any faith that this person will be given a the reins to do this and be like, has the, has the, the resources on hand to be able to do this. Yeah, certainly fair comment. And the thing I always go back to is when you think about them hiring Bruce Boudreaux in the first place, you know, like he didn't need all this. He was no. very happy living in central Pennsylvania, him and his family had started the, uh, you know, a, a, a junior team in Hershey and uh, it was kind of a labor of love. They did the same thing in Minnesota a couple of years prior. He could have done that. He could have done great grassroots work, but the Canucks thought, hey, maybe if we bring in Boudreaux, we can salvage things. And obviously they had the, the nice run right off the top. But I think that's one of the most disappointing things for me is that Bruce Boudreaux didn't need all this nonsense for 13 months. You know, I mean, it was, it was a nice little honeymoon period there. But the way it ended, he didn't need any of this. He's already established as one of the great head coaches of this era. Um, it's it was just sad to see it unfold the way it did. And there's a point to like there's a great um, word that you brought up there, which is they they hired him to salvage this. It always seems like the Canucks are trying to salvage something, you know. Mm-hmm. It seems like they're trying to everything is every hire that they make or every hockey decision that they make. It's like a knee-jerk reaction to try and be like, oh, no, no, but we got this. Or it's like a disaster. There's like a leak in the ship and they go like, oh, no, no, we're going to put some flex seal on it. Or, oh, no, no, we're going to do like, it seems like there's always something like that. Boudreaux was hired to salvage a season that they probably should have tanked, but instead he got them close to the playoffs. And then, you know, Rick Tockett was here, was hired to salvage a season where they definitely again should tank. Uh, And now he has like, I believe it's the second easiest remaining strength of schedule left. So he will likely be inflated by some. Uh, are propped up by some, you know, like some inflated results and the Canucks will likely play themselves out of the Bedard sweepstakes. It just like, again, I go back to fans where I look at this and, and I go like, if you're a Canucks fan, what possible confidence, what possible optimism can you look at this? Like we try and keep things pretty light on the hockey news podcast, you know, where we both love this game, but like, it's just, be, it's been like this ever since, Ever since the end of like, or ever since the end of the Mike Gillis era, but specifically ever since the end of the, ever since the Canucks got beaten in Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final in 2011, and it has been nothing but this has been nothing but short-term solutions 
you know, like scrambling to, to fix holes. Um, and uh, it's it's just a shame. Like Bruce Boudreaux, he is I, I'm glad that he's fi- he finally doesn't have to deal with this anymore. You know, he finally doesn't have to wake up every morning and wonder if his livelihood is going to be taken away. And I hope that people look at this. They looked at the way that he handled this, how diplomatic he, he was, how how just how like I don't want to say like mature because he's like a, almost a 70 year old man. But just like the fact that he was able to to get up in front of a microphone while this was happening and not make it about himself um, for like a month, because this was rumored and, and specifically too, um, like I know that Patrick Alvin said that, you know, I made the decision today to fire the coach, um, which is obviously like that's a straight up lie. Like, first of all, Rick Tockett is sitting next to you. So that's like proof right there. But also like Tockett has a four, has four weeks, a four week notice clause in his TNT contract. So if you bring that back, this was likely theorized about um, around Christmas or even before Christmas. And so like, it's just, so he, he's been going through this for like, at least publicly, at least, at least a month privately. I think he said like since October 8th, which is the start of the season. So he now gets to, gets to go out and live his best life potentially and potentially have other teams look at him and realize like, Oh, even though he was put in like the most toxic situation that coach has been put in, in modern NHL history. Um, he handled it with like grace and class and the players were like openly weeping at the thought of him leaving and, and saying goodbyes. I hope that that if he wants to coach again, I hope that that looks very favorably favorably around the league uh, because he deserves it. Yeah. And I'm sure it will. And, you know, looking forward, it's interesting, you know, talking about the job that Tockett has ahead of him and mm-hmm. the strength of schedule. You know, the irony is not only is Connor Bedard a local kid and a generational talent, but he's someone that can step into an NHL lineup right away. And for Vancouver, they want guys like that. Has so much tied up in the salary cap, getting a player of that caliber for a minimum salary based on what he could be earning. I know he's only 17, but, um, you know, based on the impact he could have, he would be a tremendous bargain next year. He's exactly the kind of piece they want, right? Like he's a, like, like he's a, he's a guy who can, he's a young guy, but who can step in the lineup right away. doesn't cost a ton and it's going to help them win games right away. Like he's, that's exactly what, uh, uh, what Rutherford and Alvin said um in their press conference on monday um so one like so their their first uh embarrassing press conference of the week last week um but like he's he'd be exactly it and it just seems now with the strength of schedule every team seems to get a new coach bump now i don't know this is a totally different situation than pretty much any other coach firing right like we saw this with we see this with everyone most recently like <laughs> we saw this with the canucks themselves when brujo came in but usually you know management finally finally fires a coach and they come in and the players feel like rejuvenated just to get out from under that sort of like monotony of, of the previous guy. The person had, the, the previous coach had obviously run his course. It was, you know, it was doomed to, to go away and, and they needed a new voice. But no one wanted this coach to go in the room. So I wonder if there's going to be that new coach bump. I wonder if the guys are going to be like, like there's, they're not going to be like, oh, we got freed from a tyrant that we don't want to play for anymore. You know, they wanted to play. They were they were crying at the thought of him going. So I wonder if they're going to get that new coach bump that most that most teams usually get, because like this is a totally unique situation. 
Yeah, I wonder if it's going to be kind of the opposite where, you know, because Rick Tockett is known as more of a defensive coach and Boudreaux, obviously, an offensive coach, I wonder if the first week or two there's a feeling out process and then once Tockett's system takes hold, the Canucks start to win games that they would have lost maybe under Boudreaux. And and that's where you see that bit of a bounce. Um but that's the big challenge going into the summer is what is this team going to look like? Because it feels like Bo Horvat has been priced out of the market. You know, we know he's, he's defending UFA and we've discussed this on the podcast before. I think he could get, you know, 10 million a year based on the season he's had. And granted under trying circumstances, you know, you have JT Miller's extension kicking in. So he goes from making 5.2 to making 8 million a year. You still have a bunch of contracts on the back end that you can't move, even if you wanted to, because the players have no move or no trade clauses, uh, that being Oliver Ekman Larson and Tyler Myers. So for me, the big things you look at are, you know, Luke Shen, pending UFA has been awesome for this team, uh, whether it's, you know, from a leadership perspective or just giving that kind of old school toughness to the back end. He feels like a Rick Tockett kind of player. Uh, and I'm sure he'll be in demand. But this is a guy that's already won cups. So what are his priorities? Maybe Luke Shen just likes living in Vancouver. Maybe he likes having that leadership role. I don't know. Uh, I would suggest that, you know, the Canucks try to re-sign him. And at worst, you know, he becomes trade deadline fodder next season uh if not this season for that matter uh, um and then andre kuzmenko who has been a very good signing uh pleasant surprise for me i wasn't sure what to expect yeah. when you get a bit of an older russian player coming to north america for the first time but from what i've been told he likes vancouver and, and granted this is before the Boudreaux firing um but he likes being there and most likely you're looking at a bridge contract because he doesn't have that track record in the NHL yet. I mean, he hasn't even played a full season over here. So if you're the Canucks, you say, okay, well, if we can get him under a decent contract for two, three seasons, that might help our cap crunch uh, because this is a player that if he works out on that bridge contract, he probably makes a lot more, even if it's on another short-term contract, because again, he's already 26. <coughs> Those are some of the names I'm looking at. They're kind of crucial and can be dealt with, you know, because as I said, there's some contracts that I don't know what you can do with them. Maybe you try to deal Connor Garland, um, but there's not a lot of wiggle room other than just losing guys to free agency. See the Canucks they, for as capped out as they are. And for as, you know, like bad as their on ice product is, they have a lot of really good tradable assets. And if they wanted to, like, again, they keep saying they want to win games. They want it to be a retool. So we that that kind of takes a lot of their cards off the table. But like if they wanted to to play this in, in a, a like if they really wanted to, to 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 play the long game here, trading Bo Horvat should be getting you a, a, just a ton of assets. Like when's the last time a guy who's on pace for 60 goals is is on the is, is you know, like on the trade deadline or on, on the trade block? That's huge. Luke Shen could legitimately, if they play this right, could legitimately get them a first round pick. Like he is, people around the league love Luke Shen. He's big. He's he's a right shot. 
he's got championship pedigree and he can move the puck and he's played well in uh he's shown that he can be a a like a worthwhile partner to a star in in Quinn Hughes and also he's able to play like to perform really well on a team that is not so great if you play the market right considering what the price is for defensemen you look at a guy like Vladislav Gavrikov who is like his name is is starting to go crazy and the the packages are starting to go really really crazy in terms of hypotheticals for him Luke Shank can net you at, at the minimum a second round pick and like a prospect maybe even a first you take that as much as Andre Kuzmenko really likes living in, in Vancouver I'm assuming playing in Vancouver um like if you wanted to like first of all he's apparently he's be, he's going to be asking for like upwards of six seven million dollars on a long-term extension i believe elliot freeman reported that a while back that's a lot of money to pay for a guy who you know doesn't have that track record and also like the canucks straight up can't afford that um if you wanted to trade him that would be that would get you a a crazy set of assets too connor garland he's definitely overpaid but if you do a little bit of of retained or you maybe launder it through a third team that can get you some future assets as as well they have some trade chips here it just it it just depends on whether or not they want to um, they want to take that that step back you know they because obviously trading a lot of their good players that's going to mean that you take a step back but they have they have these attractive pieces that yes aren't fitting in Vancouver but could or or they are fitting in Vancouver but they're not good enough to push that team over the top but they yeah. could definitely push another team over the top and uh, I mean you look at teams like Boston like Toronto like. Um, like even Tampa, you know, like teams that are, that are really gearing up for this run. Um, you know, even like what, like I look at like Washington who wants another kick at the can or, you know, like the Rangers, like you think that a guy like Connor Garland, they, they would love to add that player for, for a, a playoff run, you know, like, or if they were able, if they really wanted to pony up Kuzmenko, that would be huge. Mm-hmm. So if, the, if, if they really do want to take a step back, maybe lose a couple players, but get just a haul of picks, in a draft that's that's being labeled a kingmaker draft um that would be that would be huge for them it just depends on whether or not they actually want to do that yeah very true and i mean one other name i'll toss out there and this is more of a fresh scenery kind of vibe is brock besser yeah Um, you know this is a player that in the past we thought had serious consistent and 30 goal a season potential um you know he's still signed for a couple more years at 6.6 which is that's a big hit (laughs) you know it's it's a big hit but if you are one of those contending teams uh and you say well maybe with our guys we can revitalize them maybe that's that's exploring listen that's definitely possible um all the reports that I've, i've been seeing out of vancouver and i'm not really plugged into to them but the ports i've been seeing out of vancouver and people have talked to like the Canucks at the besser's trade value at this point is going to be where they're going to have to like include a sweetener because mm-hmm. of because of that cap it i mean he's he's youngish but if you look at his actual numbers like and i've i've labeled him as this forever but like he is the he's like the best 30 goal scorer to never score 30 goals right. he's never scored 30 goals and we all label him as as this you know like pure goal scorer this guy with he's never done it and injuries have have impacted that obviously and terrible family tragedy with him that we always have to take into account um so that hopefully that that lessens some of the criticism here but like it's just i don't know if he's necessarily like a trade chip for them he's more of like if you can get if you can get that number off the books right i think that that's that that would really open up a lot of space but 
if you're looking at players to get that number off the books, he's not the first one that I'd be looking at, you know, like he's like, I'd be looking at two large overpriced defensemen before that. But then again, like I said, the Canucks for all of their faults on the ice, they have a lot of really attractive trade chips that contenders would be scrambling over themselves to add to their rosters before a playoff run. seems like a lot of players, a lot of teams are going for it. seems like there's a lot of buyers this year. That would be huge. So um we'll we'll really have to see it'll be interesting to see how they end uh or how they they navigate the rest of the season because they have a prime opportunity to either really improve their path forward or just kind of stay stuck in this middle ground that is that has gotten them nowhere Mm -hmm. all right now this is a rumor that you brought up in our prep ryan um that i have not seen anywhere and yet Apparently it's a thing. And after the, after their loss last night, a pretty listless one, uh, I may add five, two to the, the Toronto Maple Leafs could bury. First of all, there could be a, a coaching change afoot on long Island. I mean, this is a team that is clearly in win now mode and they're doing nothing. They're, they're losing now. They're not winning now. Could Barry trots head back to the Island. I have not seen this anywhere. And yet here you are bringing this up. So Ryan, take it away. Yeah. So fascinating. So this is from Chris Botta. Uh, very plugged in on Long Island. And he brought it up on Twitter. And the one thing he pointed out is Barry Trotz is still technically under contract with the New York Islanders. So if they brought him back, he's already paid for. Um, I will say, I don't know if I necessarily buy it in the sense that this roster really hasn't changed since mm-hmm. Trotz left. And I'm wondering, you know, GM Lou Limarello, uh, from what I understand, his contract is up in the summer. So ownership is going to have to look into, is he the guy to push the Islanders forward? A fair question to ask. You know, if he brings in Trotz, and we've seen Lamorello be very creative with his coaching decisions over his iconic career, particularly mm-hmm. in New Jersey when he was way, winning Stanley Cups. I mean, he'll he'll do things like this, right? Um, would it be enough to turn the ship around? It's going to be tough in that division. But I worry that just structurally, the Islanders don't have enough scoring power to hang in the Metro. And you know, we know they have an amazing goalie in Elias Sorokin. We know they have a pretty solid defense core and, you know, Noah Dobson keeps getting better and better. So that's great for them, but it just feels like they can't get enough offense to make it happen. And I don't know as good as Barry Trotz is as a coach. I mean, he made his bones structurally and with defense and it made the Islanders terrifying in the playoffs, Mm -hmm. but if you don't make the playoffs, it doesn't matter. And right now, they're not in a great spot. They're not out of it, but they're not in a great spot. So that would be my concern, is that as intriguing as it is, it wouldn't be the move that gets them back into the playoffs in such a short amount of time. Did it not seem like there was kind of a like a rocky exit there with Trotz? Like that... It, it, like it, it, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I was not there and I'm, I can't remember any, but like, it just, it seemed like there was, it was somewhat of a surprise exit. Yeah. Like, you know, it was one sort of down year where after two, after two Western or Eastern conference final trips, 
And then it was a down year where, you know, like they had that 13 game road trip to start the year and then COVID just decimated their entire team. They were the impetus to like shut down the league for a little bit. And then they came back and, and no one was able to get right. And it was just, just seemed like a disaster. And yet Trotz was fired. And I feel like there were some reports that it was like somewhat of a messier, not amicable split. So I'm not sure how, especially with, with Lou still there, I'm not sure how excited he would be to go back, but they're like this, this Islanders team, they clearly don't have the structure uh, that, that, that they did under trots, whether or not they liked playing for him, or I think it, it was labeled like, you know, they needed a new voice, whatever, as we, as they do with every coaching, uh, you know, like sort of firing or parting of ways or whatnot, but they really just don't see like, they're not a roster that is going to be able to like play run and gun. And they need, this is a roster that really needs to fit a, a structure, like really needs to be playing structured to, to, they need to be like this Rube Goldberg machine of defense that, and like zone denials, zone entry denials and whatnot. And they, they just aren't that this year. And, and you see that every time they play where they just, they don't have the high, like you said, they don't have the offensive skill. They don't have the high end offensive skill to keep up, especially in a division like the Metro um, and in a high flying conference like the East and Trotz is an incredible coach. If you, whenever he decides he wants to come back and coach, he will be, you know, like he, he will be the bell of the ball in terms of, teams trying to bring him in there um but and it's also important to note just for vancouver's sake that trots and boudreaux have the same agent um so i think we could probably nix uh vancouver off that list maybe um but it just i don't know if if that would be a fit i had not seen this rumor i had not heard it i think it's only i think it's only chris boda but that is a fascinating possibility if that is a possibility that's fascinating because it seems like they are like a match made in heaven. We know that this Islanders roster that's relatively the same, like you said, can employ that system like to a T to great results that bring them to the Eastern Conference final or within, you know, a couple wins from a Stanley Cup, even if it is the most boring and monotonous hockey possible. Um, so that would be real that would be really cool to see. I I not heard of it. I don't think it's gonna happen, but if it does, great. Another awesome drama filled thing in the NHL that needs it. Um yeah. and again, you know based on what Chris Botta was tweeting, seems like Barry Trotz and Lou Lamoureux have still kept in touch. And, you know, it's okay. always hard to figure out the the story behind things when it comes to Lamorello because he keeps things very close to the vest. He doesn't make things public. He doesn't leak things. Um, and so you really just have to go with the information that comes out. It's very hard to speculate when it comes to a, a Lou Lamorello team. Yeah, absolutely. I, if they're still talking, then I feel like there's a decent chance. Lou likes, like you said, Lou likes to do random stuff with his coaches. So like he, he didn't he fire like Claude Julian or Jacques Lemaire or something like nine games before uh, the playoffs when, when the Islanders were like top of their division or something in the nineties, like he just does random stuff. Yeah. He's replaced coaches like right before the playoffs. Exactly. So he'll do whatever. Um, speaking of right before the playoffs though, there are a couple really interesting playoff races, specifically in the East. Uh, because the East is just absolutely stacked this year. And we have two two teams kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrum here. Um, one is is the Buffalo Sabres, or this up-and-coming team. You know, they have so much fun talent to watch. Tage Thompson has emerged into, like, the new sort of, like, prototypical. Every scout's going to try and uncover the next him. Um, Rasmus Dahlin, Owen Power, they're playing, like, they're playing great. You know, Jeff Skinner's having a career revival. Alex Tuck is fit in. Like, things are just going great in Buffalo. Like it, they, they are just a joy to watch. On the other hand, we have the Florida Panthers who, you know, are they like they they went 
for it. They they like went all in to an extent that we haven't really seen a team do in recent years at the deadline last year. They don't have a first round pick until 2026. Uh, they have to like make paper transactions by the minute, basically every day to stay cap compliant. Um, and they are in, in a free fall. Like they, they, and so these are two teams that are going to be fighting for that last playoff spot in the East, two completely different sets of expectations here, but these are going to be two big races. What's the best playoff race to watch down the stretch here between Florida and Buffalo? Yeah, I, I think this is the one to watch because as you mentioned, you have two teams going in kind of opposite directions and the Panthers, they, they got to make it. I mean, this is not a team that is rebuilding by any stretch of the imagination, you know, making the monster trade uh, to get Matthew Kachuk. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that they had to give up Mackenzie Weger in that deal with Calgary. And we've talked about it, you know, so many times. Obviously, Jonathan Huberto was the, the big piece, but Weger really seemed to be the one that, the Panthers have missed the most. You look at their defense core right now, three of them were waiver claims. Gustav Forsling, Casey Fitzgerald, yeah. Josh Mahura. Um, and it's it's just tough because, you know, goaltending, I, I, again, it hasn't been the strength they needed to, especially given how much cap space is taken up by Bobrovsky. And then, you know, Spencer uh, hasn't had the best year either. Um his contract kicks in next season. So they'll have $14 million plus committed to goaltenders. That's probably not sustainable. Um, you know, Alex Lyon was playing for them the other night. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not what the plan was. But on I'm the other side of the equation, Buffalo has been this great story where, again, we knew there was going to be a team that would emerge in the Atlantic this year. We just didn't know which one it would be. Is it Ottawa? Is it Detroit? Is it Buffalo? We figure there's probably one slot available. The Sabres are in the best position right now. And as you mentioned, we've had some great breakout performances. We've had some of those young guys step up in ways that we hoped, but we didn't know for sure if it would happen. And it looks like it has. And now, you know, you got about 30, 35 games to go. The Panthers, they they just have they have to pull it together because the Sabres are playing with confidence. You know, they got a great coach in Don Granado who really knows how to get the best out of his players and is kind of teaching as he's going, which is kind of cool to see. And they've got depth. You know, they've got guys like Jack Quinn and Peyton Krebs that are kind of, you mentioned paper transactions with Florida, but Buffalo's kind of doing the same thing bringing guys up and down from Rochester. Um, it's it's a great situation for the Sabres where guys are fighting for roster spots and the wins are coming. And I know for Sabres fans, they've been waiting for this for a long time. So that to me is going to be fascinating. You know, can Florida pull it together and hold off the Sabres or does Buffalo just keep pushing and the Panthers go into the summer with a lot of questions. The coolest thing about Buffalo in this sense, and they have, they have a, a luxury here that Florida, as we just talked about, clearly doesn't is we talk about trade deadline, about buyers. Buffalo has $18 million in cap space right now. Wow. 
Like, like they are, and obviously some like that won't be the case next season when Tage Thompson's extension kicks, even, even though that's only 7.142 mil or whatever. And same with uh, Matias Samuelson, but that's still with it, which is 4.2. But like, that's like my math. If my math is correct, you run, it's only like 11 million something in, in cap like in extra salary that will be added there. They, that still gives them a ton of room. And if you want, like if they wanted to go out and swing for the fences and really sort of like, ironclad lock their roster down to the point where like we are making the playoffs this year nothing like they have they have the financial wherewithal the financial capability to add patrick kane to their roster straight up right now you know to add i was gonna to say add vladimir tarasenko patrick. or patrick exactly like patrick kane would be perfect for them but they have the the financial um capability to add vladimir tarasenko to their roster straight up you know bull horvat any of these guys they have of the teams that are fighting for this, this of the teams that are in a playoff race right now, the Sabres are the team that have this, this ace in the hole. They have this cap space. They have, not only do they have the cap space, but they have the assets. Like they have one first round pick next year. Uh, like they, they have their own first next year. They have their own first next three years, but they have their own first for, the, sorry, this season. They have three seconds this year. You know, like they have, and they have a ton of, uh, you know, like young guys, if you really want to send them out, they have the cap space, man. Like you look at these two these two races, Florida, it's going to be, how can we salvage this season? How can we, how can we get the players that we have on board to play sort of like either to their standards or above their standards to bridge this gap and, and eke us into the playoffs. And hopefully we'll, we'll go on a run because not because with the amount of draft capital prospect capital um, and, and sort of like cap space that we've committed to this roster, like a playoffs is bare minimum. If they miss the playoffs, that is a disaster. The Sabres, on the other hand, they're playing with house money. And then on top of that, they can add a superstar to their roster and be like, all right, let's go. Like they like it's 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 like the space race and like it's like the space race. And they're like, I don't know, like if if if, if the the if the Panthers are the Russians and, and the uh, the the Sabres are the Americans, the Sabres can add like Iron Man technology to their to their space race in like the 60s at the, at the deadline if they want to and just like completely like sort of stream ahead. That's going to be so much fun to watch to see what they do down the stretch. Yeah. Um, all right. Bottom, look at a couple bottom dwellers here. And this is a great sort of, would you rather that you brought up? Would you rather be Chicago or Anaheim heading into this off season? Yeah, for me, yeah, this is something we were discussing around the office, just like Chicago, obviously they're rebuilding uh, or they're about to. I, I think that's the way to put it. Is they're about to rebuild because you still have Kane Taves under contract. You know, you got Max Domi in the summer. Um, you know, Seth Jones under a long-term contract. You know, they've got some good prospects, but they haven't really cashed in yet. And I'm sure that's going to happen this summer. But if you look at them right now, like Lucas Reichel is probably the most exciting and intriguing. And they've done a very good job developing him, mostly in Rockford. You know, Kevin Korchinski was a high pick. Uh, you know, not a standout at the World Juniors by any stretch of the imagination, but one of the younger defensemen that Canada had. Frank Nazar, unfortunately, hasn't played all year for the University of Michigan because he's been injured. So you're not yeah. seeing a lot of early returns just yet. Um, Anaheim, on the other hand, it feels like, yeah, they're horrible this year. But Jamie Drysdale's may you know missed a bunch of time, and he's one of your future cornerstones. You've got Mason McTavish, Trevor Zegers is still young, you know Jacob Perot still young, still finding his way. Um, you know Lucas Dostal is a goaltender that I think 
you keep in mind? I mean, obviously, John Gibson's your guy now and for the f- coming years. But it's nice to have a prospect like Dostal in your back pocket. And of course, you know, again, looking at the World Juniors, Olin Zellweger, tremendous for Canada on the back end. He is that puck mover. Uh, you know, think about the luxury of having Zellweger and Drysdale on the same blue line core in a couple of years. I mean, that's just modern NHL hockey. That's what you want. So for me, it's Anaheim uh, because I can see more of the picture, whereas Chicago, this summer, we're going to see it come more into perspective, just what kind of assets they're working with. I mean, hey, they might pick first overall, and they get Connor Medard, and that changes everything. But right now, it's speculative. Also, like Anaheim has just like in terms of prospect pipelines, Anaheim has the better one. They're just hoarding defensive prospects. They still, like you said, they still have Jamie Drysdale to go and all that. Also, I feel like Anaheim has, they have less sort of like onerous contracts on the books. Certainly. Um, I mean, you don't have to deal with a, uh, with a Seth Jones contract, you know, like, uh, like Chicago still has Peter Morazic and almost four mil uh, heading into the next season. There's a lot. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you definitely want to, uh, I, I would definitely want to be, I think Anaheim more than that. Like, it's just, it just makes, it just makes sense. They, they, they have like Pat Verbeek, it, you know, he, he's, he's extremely excited and sort of like rowdy to, uh, uh, to, to start this rebuild off or maybe not rebuild, but to really sort of like get it into gear. Whereas I feel like Chicago is still stripping things down. And like you said, they might they might pick first overall and they get Connor Bedard and that's great. But even Bedard's not enough to save that roster. Anaheim, it's easier to, to sort of turn it around. They get guys healthy. They, they graduate some of these prospects yet another year of, of evolution from Terry um, and from uh, 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 Trevor Zegris. You have some extra caps, you get, you know, you, you get some assets for John Klingberg at the deadline. You, you sort of, uh, you're able, it, it's a, it's a less, I guess it's a shorter sort of turnaround. And I would, I think I would rather be, rather be Anaheim. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'll say too, Pavel Minchikov and Tyson Hines, two more defensemen. You're, you're talking about that depth. Uh, Minchikov's been one of the best players in the OHL this year. And Tyson Hines, I thought, was a very pleasant surprise, not only making Canada's world junior team, but having an impact as well. Absolutely. Um, there was actually some breaking news that happened while we were recording here. Uh, some some shuffling over there with uh, with the St. Louis Blues. The Blues have activated Tori Krug and Tarasenko. Um, so they're coming back which is huge for them you know this that could also i mean we just talked about tarasenko as a big trade chip him coming back him being healthy this early before the deadline if he can continue to perform as he has that that completely sort of like revitalizes his value could potentially help the blues sort of take that sort of quick turnaround the other one though is uh is pavel buchnevich um arguably their best forward this season he has been put on ir um uh, and will be reevaluated after the all-star break to uh, essentially he had a minor surgical procedure uh, to fix something. And they and they believe that he, he suffered an infection from it or contracted an infection and uh, which is just terrible. Um, so they're going to, they're going to, they put him on IR. So that's, you know, the, the hockey gods giveth the hockey gods taketh away uh, in St. Louis. That's you, you get, you know, a first line winger and, and a top pair D back, but you lose your, your best forward as well. That's tough. 
And it really does feel at this point where, you know, the Blues are thinking, okay, who are we dealing? And how can we retool? I mean, this is a team that does not need to rebuild. We know that. They've got the, they've got the players, but they're looking at sort of a changing of the guard. Tarasenko being activated is pretty crucial because he would be, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, somebody that a, a contender would be very interested in. Absolutely. All right. Finally, uh, let's talk about the CHL top prospects game, Ryan. This is a, this is obviously very near and dear to your heart. Um, obviously Connor Bedard is going to be the player to watch. Like he's the player to watch in every rink he steps into, regardless of, of what he is, what it is. So let's talk about some of the players to watch that are not con- named Connor Bedard. Um, Ryan, why don't you take us away? Because like I said, you know this, I do not. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the CHL top prospects game is always interesting because it gives different players a chance to step up. You know, I think about a few years ago, Tyson Forrester, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers prospect, he had a massive top prospects game and that was really good for sort of solidifying his draft stock. Um, So, you know, looking at first the team that Connor Bedard will play for some of his teammates, uh, Zach Benson with the Winnipeg ice of the WHL. This is already a player that, Pretty much everybody has slotted in the top 10. Undersized, but incredibly smart, incredibly talented. It'll be fun to see what he can do on the same team as Bedard. Then I look at the defense core and Cameron Allen with the Guelph Storm of the OHL. Coming into this season, he was seen as maybe the best blue liner in the draft, but really struggled in the first half. So his stock has dropped. Now, I always find it important to look at how kids perform after the Christmas holiday break, because Mm -hmm. a lot of players tend to take off where, you know, you get to go home for a bit. It's comfortable. It's a bit of a reset. You can kind of take stock of what the first half was, maybe what went wrong. So it feels like Cameron Allen's playing a little bit better since he returned from break. Now he gets a big stage to show what he can do. You know, this is a guy with some pretty impressive two-way potential in him. So I think this could be a great stage for him. The last one I'll talk about on that team is Carson Bjornesson, the goaltender for the Brandon Wheat Kings of the WHL. You know, uh, we saw a lot of great goaltending performances at the World Juniors. Uh, I actually wrote about it for for the magazine. Carson Bjarnason was not there for Team Canada. Maybe he will be next year. But this is a kid that's got the size and uh, has the potential to be one of the first goalies selected, if not the first goalie selected. And again, there's options. Adam Guyon, I'm sure, will will get a lot of attention as well. But if Bjarnason plays well top prospects game, that's a feather in his cap. Uh, So he'll be an interesting one to watch in net. On the other team, uh, I'm looking at some of the forwards that are going to have to go against Connor Bedard and distinguish themselves. Uh, first one I'll mention is Luca Pinelli from the Ottawa 67s of the OHL. Uh, 67s, you know, they're a wagon. They're a great team this year. Pinelli has put up some fantastic numbers. Smaller guy, but again, gets the job done. And it's not as much a barrier as it used to be when it comes to the draft. So it'll be fun to see what he can do. And then another player that I've been tracking for years already 
is Braden Yeager, plays for Moose Jaw Warriors of the WHL. Um, you know, very accomplished center, puts up good numbers. And again, you know, it'll be fun to see what he can do on the other side of the ice from Connor Bedard. Can he keep up? Can he get some highlights of his own? That'll be kind of interesting. Final player I'll mention, another center, another forward, uh, Cal Ritchie of the OHL's Oshawa Generals. Again, a little bit more was expected of Ritchie this year. Uh, you know, he's playing okay, but the numbers aren't maybe as strong as some people would have liked. But he's a big body, and we know he can score. He had a fantastic rookie year last year with the Gens. So, again, this gives him a nice little showcase to perform at a high level and show, yeah, you know, I should be in that sort of top 15 mix for uh, the draft. Um, and again, going against Bedard, maybe that'll be a nice little litmus test. Absolutely. All right. Well, that'll be a very interesting thing to watch. I'm sure Ryan will bring some incredible coverage uh, on that for the hockeynews.com, which is where you should find all your lovely hockey coverage. And my, uh, my, my cough syrup aided uh, uh, ramblings of the last couple of days. It'll be there. No days off. Um, all right. Uh, because my brain is shutting down, um, I was not able to do a rapid fire this week, this week, which means Ryan is stepping in uh, graciously to do his back to back, which means I will be then doing the next two. Ryan, hit me with a rapid fire. Let's do this. I am. I am excited. Let's do this. Okay. First one. What is an older movie that you have rewatched recently? Ooh, that's a really good one. Um, an older movie that I rewatched recently. Like at least you know, 10 years old. At least 10 years old. Okay. Um, older movie I rewatched recently, man. I mean, like I, I tend to, I tend to do, I tend to rewatch like, you know, some stuff like I, I rewatched back to the future the other day. Cause nice. it's just like, it's a comfort movie. That is mm -hmm. one of the greatest. I mean, I could go on for days about just how back to the future changed the landscape because it is just like, you know, the, how successful that movie was, how good it was. And it's based on literally no. Also, it's the weirdest movie ever. I know John Mulaney has a, has a, a bit about I was gonna like say how, it's a great John Mulaney bit. It's a great John Mulaney bit. Like, but, you know, the fact that that movie was like pitched in a boardroom and it worked. But like it's it, it didn't really have like it did have an established actor in Michael J. Fox, who at the time was on um, like a really big sitcom. But he's a TV actor at the time. Um, it's based on no pre-existing material. It's a completely original idea. And it, and it became one of the great, like one of the best blockbusters ever. One of the most like, you know, highest grossing blockbusters ever that spawned this huge, like, that's great. Um, what else did I rewatch? I've rewatched a couple actually like, like I've rewatched a couple like old sort of old movies recently. Um, oh, I re because of the shout out to the ringer, they, they, they're, they're, um, their podcast, the rewatchables, uh, back when I was able to like move my body, um, I would go on hikes and listen to the rewatchables and I'd like to, to like watch the movie before I listen to the episodes So I rewatched saving private Ryan recently, um, which is really good. Boogie nights, you know, just like these classics. And I feel like movies don't, I, I love independent movies these days. Like I've been watching a lot of them, you know, just like sneaking out to the theater, you know, when everyone's asleep, but there are these certain movies like that were like, we just don't get the sort of like non IP like blockbuster anymore right and so like you look at a movie like saving private ryan just like you know huge pyrotechnics everything but like not based on a comic book or anything and 
you know, like Boogie Nights, huge, but like big budget, you know, like crazy, but it's just the sort of like mid tier movie. I love those. I think we should get more of them. Um, and yeah, go, go rewatch some of these old movies. Cause it's just like, it's important to, to a learn where current movie references come from. Um, like, like director references come from, and also just like to see like a cool snapshot of what the industry was like back in the day. Fair enough. Yeah. So for me, I've done a couple, uh, in recent days, one was Kung Fu Hustle, the Stephen Chow, uh, martial arts movie, which is better than I remember it. And I remember liking it the first time, but it's so cartoonish and so fun and packs in so much. Like there's a love story that they might only spend five minutes of actual screen time on, but you feel it. Uh, so Kung Fu Hustle, can't recommend that enough. And then last night I rewatched Audition, the very difficult to watch Takeshi Miike film about a widower who tries to find a young wife and it goes tremendously wrong in very violent ways. Uh, I won't spoil it. But I was joking that Audition is a feminist film. So those are the two that I was thinking of. Can I ask a quick question? Next in, in, question. Can I ask yes. a, a, a quick question in your in your rapid fire? Is there an old movie you've watched recently that you realized you completely like you you can like that that you watched with like rose-colored glasses as a kid and you realized is not very good now? There's definitely some 80s movies where you're like, wow, the pacing of this is really slow like this is unnecessary i would even say like like ghostbusters like if you try to watch ghostbusters mm -hmm. now you're like Dudes, pick it up like why are we here there are two yeah. that that came to mind one was space jam like the original space jam sure as a kid you know like that has everything that movie came out when it come out like 96 that was like the year i was born but i remember like as a kid um you know i, I was watching this when i was like five and it has everything that a kid at that age wants you know like bright lights, colors, loud, like, you know, like music, uh, the Looney Tunes, basketball, everything. I was, I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I watched it recently. Nothing in that movie makes sense. No. Michael Jordan's like the worst, like everyone was, the new Space Jam is terrible, but everyone was, was, was dumping on LeBron's acting. Michael Jordan should be sent to the Hague for his acting. Like it is terrible. <laughs> Bill Murray just like is in that movie for no reason. He literally says, I'm here because I'm friends with a producer. Right in the movie, um, and then another one was uh, in terms of pacing, Stripes, uh, with Bill Murray. Totally, yeah. Like, uh, like they go to war. I'm like, I don't care. This is, you know. So yeah, sorry, I didn't want, didn't mean to hijack, but your yours okay. inspired something. Stripes is one of those movies where it has some great classic bits, but yeah, you're like, why is this so long? It's a movie of moments of not exactly like got good like, like clips to watch on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Live organ music at hockey games. Yay or nay? Yay. I'm yay as well. I'm okay with, uh, you know, in Toronto, they have an Jimmy organ Holmstrom. player and a DJ. I'm okay going hybrid there. Sometimes I want to hear an organ version of REO Speedwagon. Uh, and sometimes I just want to hear recorded music. So I agree with you on that. Okay. I think... I've, what I like about organists is they seem to change up their sets a lot. Sure. Like Jimmy, Jimmy Holmstrom is the guy who does it in, in Toronto. Right. Uh, Jimmy Holmstrom on the keys. Great guy. Never met him, but I'm assuming he's a great guy. And, and he does a great, he does, he has a great job. The DJ on the other hand, I'm sure he's good from like a technical DJ perspective, but right. like there should be a rule now that like you have to change your playlist every game. 
yeah. because at the world juniors, they had the exact same playlist every for time. every, and, and we were watching like three hockey games a day. So I'm not sure yeah. about, and like, I, you must've just blocked it out. It was like visibly grading on me um, towards the end of the tournament. And even at, at like at Leafs games, like they have the exact same intermission or, or sort of like any, anytime there's a, there's a whistle, they have the exact same playlist. You need to be able to switch that up. Like you have to have some variety. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You got to have a long list that you draw from and you mix it up game for game. Mm -hmm. yep, I agree. Okay. Next question. The Arizona Coyotes put out a new jersey designed by Ruigi Villasenor recently. Uh, it's kind of a streetwear vibe. Great out of 10. What'd you think of that jersey? I'll give it like a 6.57. That's 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 the correct answer. I will say this: the A that's made out of two cactuses or cacti, to be accurate. I really like that. I think that should be a hat. Like if you that, just had that A yeah. on a hat, that would be pretty nice. So and yes, using I, the half moon as the C, fantastic. Yeah, nice little elements there. I just I feel like there wasn't enough done with the canvas. Of a hockey jersey. So I agree yes. with you. 6.57. Mm -hmm. Final rapid fire question. And hopefully uh, you have enough frame of reference for this. Uh, the, the bands of the early 2000s, that being the Strokes, the White Stripes, the AAS, the Hives, that whole era, I'll toss it Kings of Leon there as well. Maybe not the Killers. They were like their own thing a little bit later. But who ultimately won? Because keep in mind, the Strokes were like the band when they came out. They were like changing everything. But with the benefit of hindsight, like who won the war? It's a really good question. Name okay. Give me give me all the bands to to to, to extrapolate this from again. The Strokes, mm -hmm. the White Stripes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes. And uh, I'll say Kings of Leon. They, they I, think in, I think in terms of mainstream success, Kings of Leon probably won just because they had the hits. Mm -hmm. They had Sex on Fire. You know, they had these these like these huge sort of like top 40 radio hits that, that came on. Um, but in terms of staying power, I mean. Like the like people liking the strokes is like a meme at this point. It's supposed to be like, I'm different, I'm cool, you know. Like Again? so I will say yeah, it is, you know. Is. Ryan, you're not you're not like the other girls, you're a cool girl. And I think that's yeah. very cool. Fair. Um, but no, like I think that, that uh I think I think the strokes in terms of like in terms of legacy, like you said, with now with like years of hindsight, I'll say the strokes just because like they 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 have the staying power, they seem to have made like a more pronounced lengthy dent. But at the time, like the Kings of Leon had that top 40, like radio success, like they broke into that mainstream um, and they had these they had these like, you know, like three or four like actual big, big hits that penetrated like, you know, the, like sort of like general pop culture. And I think I don't know if any of the other bands mentioned there do the killers are their own thing. I would say the killers would win if they're there, if they're not considered their own thing, because I mean, yeah. like, like they they just have like. A, they have like a, a discography of just straight up hits and like Mr. Brightside is like the anthem of my generation. Mm -hmm. Like if you, if I'm at a party and Mr. Brightside comes on, like I'm, I'm, I'm dropping it down. There you go. I'm throwing it okay. back, Ryan. 
I'm going to go another direction. I'm going to say the White Stripes won, not only because they had quite a good catalog of hits, maybe not astronomical hits, but they had the biggest yes. hit, Seven Nation Army, which you will hear at every sporting event for the end of time now. And Speaking I'll of which, we had some... Maybe this is controversial. I think the Strokes are a one-album band. That's, that's a look. And I, even though, you know, talking about pacing and like going back on things, I was listening to that album recently. It's not that hot. It's got some good songs. Uh, hard to explain, obviously. New York City Cops. But if you listen to it, it's not as rocking as I remember it. So there's my hot take. I still like this. I still, I still like some of their songs. And they were definitely super important. But in terms of winning the war... I would say the White Stripes and then the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, really, because they're still putting out good music, and you hear them at arenas too. So that's true. Speaking of arena music, uh, speaking of arena music, though, I believe it was reported yesterday that Panic at the Disco is disbanding. Okay, uh, finally, and hopefully, and I know this isn't going to happen, but hopefully that means they will stop playing High Hopes in arenas. It will not mean that, um, but... because if I have to hear that song again, I am going to slam my head into a wall. <laughs> and on that note. On that note, that was a great. That was a, that was actually a very challenging and great uh, uh, rapid fire, Ryan. Like I like I that really made, gave me some critical thinking here. So I'm gonna have to come in. I'm gonna have to come in hot next week. It'll be great. Um, hopefully next week, both Ryan and I will be uh, in tip top shape, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, and uh, on that, yeah. So if you want to go listen to episodes of this podcast or the any other incredible podcast that the, the Hockey News has, we have a ton of them. Go to um, or any past episodes of those. Go to thehockeynews.com slash podcast. That's where you can find all the archives and where everything is. It's great. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to go literally sleep now because I'm fading. But um, have a great day, and I will see you uh, next week. Indeed.